Hello, my name is Sarah Sloan, and you're listening to The Sarah Sloan Show. There's a lot going on in the world, and we're here to help. I'm joined here with my father. We're going to be discussing the, you know, all the issues in Afghanistan. There, there's a lot that's going on. That's for sure. And uh, I guess you wanted to have someone who's been around for a little bit more of that, because when everything started in Afghanistan, you were about four years old. Yeah, yeah. Basically, obviously, people know it started 9-11, and then uh, that's whenever President Bush Mm -hmm. started sending troops to Afghanistan um, to kind of take down the Taliban. So uh, we've been there for 20 years, and it's just been constant, lots of troops there. And there's always been talks of taking the troops out. We've been there long enough. What are we doing? And, you know, I think even the troops kind of didn't know what they were doing at some points Mm -hmm. uh, throughout all this. So now it's just, uh, I think most people agreed we needed to get out of there. But there were definitely some different ways of going about doing that. One thing you could say is if the troops wondered about their purpose there, they can look upon the last few days and see that they actually had one. <laughs> yep, that's true. In other words, they were making a difference. Yeah. With, with the, without them there, things have changed greatly. Yeah, it's just it's a uh, it's just like anything. If if you're trying to get some into some place and there's a bunch of people guarding the place, you can't get in there. If they leave, you can get in there. It's not complicated. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. Um, one interesting thing I saw on the Epoch Times is the Russian embassy. They were claiming the Afghan president fled with cars and helicopter in a helicopter full of money. Um, so yeah, as the Taliban, they were kind of closing in and taking control. Um, the president Ashraf Ghani, who's Basically, they don't even know where he is right now. His whereabouts are unknown. Um, He fled the Middle Eastern nation, explaining that leaving the dear country he dedicated his life to over the past 20 years was a hard choice, but Taliban forces left him with few options. I came across a hard choice. I should stand to face the armed Taliban who wanted to enter the palace or leave the dear country that I dedicated my life to protecting. He wanted to avoid bloodshed. And, uh, yeah, the... Yeah, the Russians said that they saw him go. And then, uh, let's see. As for the collapse of the outgoing regime, it is most eloquently characterized by the way Ghani fled Afghanistan. Um, Four cars were full of money. They tried to stuff another part of the money into a helicopter, but not all of it fit. And some of the money was left lying in the tarmac. So, Mm. yeah. You know, this is a kind of a bigger element of everything. Um, that even Biden is arguing, a lot of people are arguing, the Afghanis weren't even trying to defend themselves. They weren't doing the best job, really. Mm. Uh, because part of the what we were doing there was trying to train them to fight against the Taliban. And they're all running away right now. You know, and, and I understand, you know, it's very difficult, but uh, we spent a lot of money in training them. And supposedly what some generals were found to say was that they were never trained to be able to fight on their own. They were only trained to fight with the U.S. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I think it was, was it up to a trillion dollars that was spent? And anyway, it's interesting that the president probably had, you know, an exit plan always, you know, in place. Yeah. Knowing that this could occur, especially because it had been talked about so much over the years. But then, you know, it also speaks of human nature, um, how you never really get ready for something as long as someone is there to help you. And if it's kind of even indefinite, like, you know, if they had said, we're leaving in such and such a time, and you have to be ready, and you, you know, you're going to really work to get ready for that. seems like that just dynamic wasn't taking place. It was more well, you know, it's almost like somebody's on welfare and, you know, we're going to try to get you independent. No, you just keep living off the welfare. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a poor metaphor. <laughs> no, it, I, I see the similarities. Mm -hmm. I definitely do. And as to the president, you know, uh, he was under a lot of pressure and he wanted to, you know, when you're under pressure, you need to keep your head. And I guess that's what he was attempting to do. His money. And his head. I don't get the joke. <laughs> they were beheading people. Oh, And if, oh, it, if yeah. uh, they got into that palace, he'd be the first. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And there's no trials. You know, it is, um, you know, the Taliban is greatly feared. And you could see that at the airport. And for good reason. Yeah, and basically they they took control of the airport. Mm -hmm. um, people were even hanging onto airplane wheels as the airplanes were taking off, and they were falling, but they were just trying to get out. Mm. Um, so it's it is very ugly what's happening there. Um, I wanted to play, you know, Biden. Basically, he's kind of been missing in action for this. Has all happened over the weekend. And he hasn't really been around. So now he's coming and, you know, he gave a speech, you know, just a mm -hmm. few hours ago. Um, so I wanted to play just one part of it. Quickly and decisively, if needed. When I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021 just a little over three months after I took office. U.S. forces had already drawn down during the Trump administration from roughly 15,500 American forces to 2,500 troops in country. And the Taliban was at its strongest militarily since 2001. The choice I had to make as your president was either to follow through on that agreement or be prepared to go back to fighting the Taliban in the middle of the spring fighting season. There would have been no ceasefire after May 1. There was no agreement protecting our forces after May 1. There was no status quo of stability without American casualties after May 1. There was only a cold reality of either following through on the agreement withdraw our forces or escalating the conflict and sending thousands more American troops back into combat in Afghanistan, lurching into the third decade of conflict. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, 
I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. We planned for every contingency, but I always promised the American people that I will be straight with you. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed. Sometime quickly. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of his statement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the understatement of the year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, well, he talked about um, there's no good time to do this, but there could have been a better way to do it. And that's the thing. That's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. They're trying to say, anytime we'd say, hey, you kind of did this badly. Well, we had to get out sometime. Oh, yeah, dude, we agree. We agree. It's the way you did it. Mm -hmm. And he had generals giving him advice on the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. And he ignored their advice. You know, also this whole thing about May 1st. Hasn't that passed already? Yeah. (laughs) Basically, May 1st, they'd be out by May 1st. Okay, if he was bound by Trump's agreement, his terrible agreement, he was stuck with it. Trump messed it up. Trump botched the whole thing and put all this pressure on him. Uh, You didn't get out by May 1st. Okay, so that was such a critical date that it was constraining you to get out, but you never got out by May 1st. So was there something about August that pressured you for that? Or... Because that's three months after May 1st. You know, anyway, it's kind of, he's harping on May 1st when he didn't even, wasn't even governed by it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, here was a reporter. Uh, Jen Psaki has also had a week of vacation out. And, you know, anyone that's emailing her, it's doing the automatic, I'm out, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like um, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton were making the point. If they were out for a vacation during this, they would phone in on the show, like, you know, just to be able to say something. Mm-hmm. They, this mm-hmm. is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she's still going to stay out, and yet it's funny because, uh, you know, about a week ago, they had this White House intern TikTok star, and he was doing this funny, flamboyant video where he was pretending to be an intern, and him and Jen Psaki were just going back and forth. I should have brought the clip for it, but it was just like, hey, are you going to do this statement? Um, don't have time for it. <laughs> it's just like trying to be so funny. Mm. And this was going on. <laughs> and it's just like, it looks bad. The yeah. optics don't look good. It, it's not, it's not to say you can never do a funny video when you're in the White House. Like for sure, there's definitely going to be some times of comedy, but when this is happening, mm. it's just a really, really bad look. And it kind of hints to the fact that it, it makes it look like you don't care. Mm. That's what it makes it look like. And also the, you know, we, we get the news here and there, and they were true, and then we, we see the cities falling and all that, but they, they probably were watching a little more closely than we were, you know, at the <laughs> Pentagon, I would think. That's true. And, you know, they could see things. They, I think they have satellite images, you know, of, of the Taliban moving. They kind of 
knew what was happening and the time, the pace at which it was occurring. You know, I don't think it was all a surprise to them like it was to us. And, you know, the, I guess they thought it was still a good time for vacation. I don't know. Uh, it's just, yeah, it looks awful. But here's a reporter asking the sub-in for Saki. Um, yeah, just about what they're doing. And we'll, we'll discuss afterwards. This can be for you or the general. You've spoke from the podium over the last several days many times saying that the, the Afghan Air Force was conducting more airstrikes against the Taliban than the U.S. was. My question is, why was that? Why didn't the U.S. conduct more strikes against the Taliban in these final days? Yeah, Carla, I think, um, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback in here now, I mean, it isn't, uh, I don't think, a helpful exercise. But um, uh, as we said from a while ago, that uh, as our resources and capabilities in the region dwindled because of the drawdown, we were ordered to draw down by the end of August. And we were nothing but honest about the speed with which we had to do that because speed is safety. We wanted to make sure we did this quickly. Uh, and a drawdown means a drawdown. And it's not just about boots on the ground. The drawdown is about capabilities and resources in the region as we wrapped up uh, our advise and assist and combat missions in Afghanistan, which meant we had fewer airplanes, fewer strike capabilities in the region as we continue to draw down. And again, we were very transparent about the fact that we would conduct airstrikes in support of the Afghans where and when feasible, fully cognizant of the fact that it wasn't always going to be feasible in every, in, on every day uh, and in every place. But the, the Afghan Air Force is indigenous and they are in the country uh, and they did maintain their presence. And, and there were days where they flew easily twice as many strikes as, as we did. Uh, and they were able to often get on scene uh, quicker because they were already there and because they had tangible connections to their troops in the field. It, it also is a, a healthy reminder, something that I think we forget that in the last year and a half, uh, Afghans were in the lead of, the, of almost all, um, literally all, but just about almost all uh, of their operations uh, uh, on the ground. I mean, the advise and assist mission was still there, but they were very much in the lead of their own operations and coordinating with their Air Force. So I'm sorry, just for a correction, this is the Pentagon, not the White House. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, that stuff didn't seem to be working to slow the Taliban down. They were just racing across the country, taking everything in sight. Um, I don't know about those bombings and, you know, whatever they were doing wasn't working too well. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. Um, it's just very frustrating. It, you know, basically this is called debacle. And supposedly Biden has this reputation. Um, yeah, I, actually this, thank you for saying that because now ex-CIA director, um, Afghanistan collapse is Biden's Bay of Pigs moment. U.S. credibility is now in question. So um, former Obama administration Department of Defense Secretary and CIA Director uh, Leon Panetta said that following the collapse of the Afghanistan government and army, the United States credibility on the world stage has taken a significant blow. Um, yeah, surprised U.S. officials over the weekend struggled to explain how quickly the Taliban advanced across Afghanistan before the group took the capital, Kabul, on Sunday and declared victory amid mass surrenders by government officials and soldiers. Meanwhile, U.S. State Department and White House officials confirmed that a significant number of Americans are still inside Afghanistan as the military tries to secure the Kabul airport to carry out um, 
evacuation flights. So then this is where he starts speaking. Um, in many ways, I think of John Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs. Um, it unfolded quickly, and the president thought that everything would be fine, and that was not the case, but President Kennedy took responsibility for what took place. I strongly recommend to President Joe Biden that he take responsibility and admit that mistakes were made. Um, so then let's see. Amid the Taliban's successful campaign and capture of, of Kabul, Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, and other White House spokespersons, including Jen Psaki, have remained silent. Biden released a statement over the weekend that in part blamed the collapse of the Afghan government on last year's negotiations that were held by the Trump administration and the Taliban in Doha. Um, so yeah, uh, we've been clear, or yeah, we've, sorry, we've been through a difficult few days here in Afghanistan and he's got to make clear to the American people that as commander in chief, he is going to protect our, our national security and that we are going after terrorists wherever they are at. So, mm. It's kind of interesting because it makes you even wonder, yeah, is the Democratic Party turning? Mm. That's true. And, of course, that can best be seen on the media. And there was, I believe, a lot of media coverage uh, by mainstream media, as we call it, uh, that was very critical of President Biden. Um, so, you know, it's almost like Media is blaming Biden. Biden's blaming Trump and a lot of other factors. Uh, so, and then at the same point, he says the buck stops here, but let me pass it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, let's listen to a little bit more Biden. Over the coming days, we intend to transport out thousands of American citizens who've been living and working in Afghanistan. We'll also continue to support the safe departure of civilian personnel, the civilian personnel of our allies who are still serving in Afghanistan. Operation Allies Refugee, which I announced back in July, has already moved 2,000 Afghans who are eligible for special immigration visas and their families to the United States. In the coming days, the U.S. military will provide assistance to move, to move more SIV-eligible Afghans and their families out of Afghanistan. We're also expanding refugee access to cover other vulnerable Afghans who worked for our embassy. U.S. non-governmental agencies or uh, U.S. non-governmental organizations and Afghans who otherwise are at great risk in U.S. news agencies. I know there are concerns about why we did not begin evacuating Afghans civilians sooner. Part of the answer is some of the Afghans did not want to leave earlier, still hopeful for their country. And part of it was because the Afghan government and its supporters discouraged us from organizing a mass exodus to avoid triggering, as they said, a crisis of confidence. American troops are performing this mission as professionally and as effectively as they always do. But it is not without risks. As we carry out this departure, we have made it clear to the Taliban, if they attack our personnel or disrupt our operation, the U.S. presence will be swift and the response will be swift and forceful. We will defend our people with devastating force if necessary. Our current military mission will be short in time, 
limited in scope, and focused in its objectives. Get our people and our allies to safely as quickly as possible. And once we have completed this mission, we will conclude our military withdrawal. We will end America's longest war after 20 long years of bloodshed. The events we're seeing now are sadly proof that no amount of military force would ever deliver a stable, united, secure Afghanistan, as known in history as the graveyard of empires. What's happening now could just as easily happen five years ago or 15 years in the future. We have to be honest. Our mission in Afghanistan has taken many missteps, made many missteps over the past two decades. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan, two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibly on, responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America. And the buck stops with me. I'm deeply saddened by the facts we now face. But I do not regret my decision to end America's war fighting in Afghanistan and maintain a laser focus on our counterterrorism missions there and other parts of the world. Okay, we can stop it. Um, yeah, it's just, we can't continue this. Mm -hmm. No one's saying we should. We're talking about the way that you did it. He said it, it could have happened five years ago or in the future in the same way. No, because the president wouldn't have been as inept as you are. Yep. So it wouldn't have happened in the same way. Yep. It, this could only have happened with you because you uh, obviously didn't know what you were doing and you acted with great presumption in acting swiftly but with a lot uh, to be desired in terms of planning and preparation could have gotten a lot more Americans out in advance you know having to go back in now and rescue everybody with threats which are pretty empty at this point you know as you're running out the door with your tail between your legs and now you're making threats against the Taliban if they do anything? Yeah, you really want to come back and have a presence again. Yeah, we can see that. They're doing things right now. They're mm -hmm. beheading people like you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, they've taken over. Right. And they're, say, they're like, we won't be that bad, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> like, They're they, doing things right now. If you were mm -hmm. going to attack, you should already be attacking them. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. You, we, the whole point of why we were there was to get rid of the Taliban. And we didn't do that at all. Mm. They're alive and they're stronger than they've ever been. Mm. And we also, yeah, the other terrible part of this is we left all our very expensive machinery, equipment, vehicles, and we didn't take it with us. What kind of a plan was that? It, it almost seems like it was purposeful. Mm. It is so stupid that it really almost feels that way. Because now the Taliban has all of that machinery. 
they are stronger than they've ever been. They have all of our good stuff. You were trying to think the best of the plan. You know, all I can think of is they thought that it would take a lot longer for them to get to those locations and that they would have time to get it out. That's all I can think of. You know, but I, I don't know what they were waiting for. If you've already gotten the troops out, why don't you take the weaponry out as well? So, you know, we, we leave all this stuff and then we still have plenty of American citizens there. And yet there are, the Taliban is already in complete control. Yeah. So now we have to go back with new troops and try to take control of the airport. And, you know, we're, we're sitting ducks, really, and we're just hoping for their mercy yeah and with with these empty threats it's it's really sad it really is let's end with uh listening to some of ben shapiro talk about it i'm question it wasn't about us being present in the middle of another country civil conflict it was do we have the capacity to back allies in killing terrorists or not that we do all over the world by the way the united states military is present in over 100 countries this apparently will not be one of them, even though it is now a chief terror target. Meanwhile, by the way, Blinken ramped up the Biden administration's effort to deflect criticism, saying that Trump had allowed the Taliban threat to grow. OK, so here's the question. Even assuming that's true, even assuming that Trump blew it with regard to the Taliban, you came in and then just handed them the country, along with all of our allies who will now be slaughtered, along with all of our resources, because you decided to precipitously pull out, announce the date and then just leave. And by the way, it's even worse than that. Joe Biden wants to take a credit for that. He overruled everybody to do this. His own intelligence officials were saying this is an idiotic idea. His own generals were saying this is moronic. I mean, President Biden said on Saturday he's going to be sending approximately 5,000 U.S. troops to safely evacuate U.S. and allied personnel, according to the Wall Street Journal, a force slightly larger than the 3,000 personnel who are already in transit back to Afghanistan and the 1,000 already there. But this spectacular failure stemmed from built-in flaws of the Afghan military compounded by strategic blundering of the government of Afghan President Ashraf Ghani. The Taliban took advantage of U.S.-sponsored peace talks to deceive Kabul about their intentions as they prepared and executed a lightning offensive. Here's the, here's the key part. You ready? Here's how bad Biden blew this. The Afghan army fighting alongside American troops was molded to match the way the Americans operate. The U.S. military, the world's most advanced, relies heavily on combining ground operations with air power, using aircraft to resupply outposts, strike targets, ferry the wounded, and collect reconnaissance and intelligence. In the wake of President Biden's withdrawal decision, the U.S. pulled its air support, intelligence, and contractors servicing Afghanistan's planes and helicopters. That meant the Afghan military simply could not operate anymore. The same happened with another failed American effort, the South Vietnamese Army in the 1970s, said retired Lieutenant General Daniel Bolger, who commanded the U.S.-led coalition's mission to train Afghan forces in 2011 and 2013. So just to reiterate, the United States worked with the Afghan forces. They trained them in a certain type of combat. Namely, they could call American airstrikes in. They had the ability to call in American air resources to clear an area or to pick up the wounded. And then what did Joe Biden do? He said, we're not doing any of that anymore. So it's not just a matter of air support disappearing. It's a matter of the entire model was rooted in a particular level of American support. And without any warning whatsoever, Biden just withdrew the support. Boom, all the supports are gone. Okay, that is like a house that exists in the Hollywood Hills. And the foundations are not particularly stable. You could shore up those foundations or theoretically you could just dynamite them and then be surprised when the house falls down. Joe Biden decided to dynamite the foundations for whatever the security strategy was here. 
There's always a tendency to use the model you know, which is your own model, said General Bolger, who now teaches history at North Carolina State University. When you build an army like that, and it's meant to be a partner with a sophisticated force like the Americans, you can't pull the Americans out all of a sudden because then they lose the day-to-day assistance they need. When U.S. forces were still operating here, the Afghan government sought to maximize its presence through the country's far-flung countryside, maintaining more than 200 bases and outposts that could resupplied, be resupplied only by air. There were no resupplies available once the United States removed its support. Extending government operations to the, more, the most of, America, uh, of Afghanistan's more than 400 districts has long been the main pillar of America's counterinsurgency strategy. Mr. Ghani had ample warning of the American departure after the Trump administration signed a February 2020 agreement with the Taliban calling on U.S. US forces and contractors to leave by May 2021. But the Afghan government failed to adjust its military footprint to match the new reality. Many officials didn't believe that they would actually leave. Okay, by the way, Joe Biden was informed of all of this. He was told about all of this, and then he just did it anyway. That's the part that's so so stunning. I mean, he he overruled his own advisors. There, there were not, none of his advisors told him that this was a good idea. They were all telling him it's a terrible idea. They were telling him exactly what was going to happen. This wasn't an intelligence failure. As people are, people are trying to blame this on the intel community. This is not an intelligence failure. This is a political failure by Joe Biden. He did not care what happened next, period. Yeah, so really good take. Yeah, there's a couple of huge elements in what Ben Shapiro just shared that you wouldn't get if you didn't listen to him. You know, the whole thing about the support, um, the air support being the key point of the strategy and then just yanking that. And then, of course, the whole aspect of the intelligence community and the military community telling Biden, uh, you know, what a mistake it was and him doing it anyway. Because you don't get that from Biden's speech. Biden doesn't talk about any dissenting viewpoint. He All he talks about is he makes it seem as though everybody's united in yeah. what he, the advice he's getting and what he did. Uh, there was no disunity there. There was no other opinion or nobody telling him, don't do it, don't do it. No, everybody was on board. So he's obviously just hiding that because that would make him look bad. Yeah, I was listening to the Glenn Beck show today and he was getting calls from people. And this one lady called in and said, I voted for Joe Biden. And she said, I didn't regret it until now. Mm. She's like, I made a big mistake voting for him. Mm. And that was really interesting to hear. And I I wonder if that's, if that's going to be the story of some people that until now they realized Mm. like, Oh, this guy's really not good. Maybe they didn't see it, even though they should have, they should have, but you know, I'll take it. (laughs) The $64,000 question is, you know, we know what Biden did, and we just got a little bit more insight into the lunacy of it. But the big question is, what was his motivation? And again, we know we put all of it in quotation marks because is it even Joe Biden yeah. uh, acting? He's just simply the puppet obeying the orders. So Joe Biden or his puppeteers, you know, um, who are telling him what to do, what to say, what speech um, to read and everything else. What is the motivation behind it? 
Um, you know, one way to look at it is, what, what, what was the end result of this? Handing an entire country over to Taliban control. Well, that, that is what took place. You could say, well, they, maybe they didn't know that was going to happen. Maybe they didn't know it was going to happen that fast. But this is what they accomplished through this. And I think it's probably a mistake to quickly cast aside the possibility that that was actually the plan. And that they wanted Afghanistan under Taliban rule. You know, you could say, oh, no, the motivation was to get American troops out and to protect us. You know, I was even looking at those numbers. Okay, over 20 years, we've lost 2,312. Well, one life is too much. But that's not even as much as 9-11. You know, yeah. that's a pretty small number for 20 years. Yeah. Amazingly, that's a ton of money. I have to admit that. Although Biden sneezes and it's, there's a trillion, so... Um, a trillion in 20 years, again, isn't that huge the way the government is. But anyway, it, if you really start looking at it and realizing what took place and that it probably wasn't a mystery, it's hard to get away from the fact that maybe that's what they wanted to occur. Strengthening the very people that committed 9-11. Who's to say it wouldn't happen again? Mm-hmm. It's really awful. But, yeah, you know, I, I keep on seeing these uh, social media posts. I could really use some mean tweets right about now. <laughs> Trump's mean tweets. You know, that was a big reason why all these Republicans mm -hmm. didn't want to vote for him. Mm -hmm. Oh, he, he does mean tweets. Oh, yeah, you know, that's just, like, hurtful. And he's, like, very critical of people. And, like, he's just always looking for a fight. Uh, you know, I think I can put up with that. And <laughs> <laughs> that's something... Uh you know, there's folks that are just completely sold on Biden over Trump because he's such a nice man. Yeah. Oh, he's he's so nice. He's strengthening our enemies. What right. a nice guy. Doing everything it seems to possible to hurt us as a country, hurt yeah. our people. You know, I, I just think of all the people on fixed incomes or lower wage jobs affected by the higher gas prices, affected by inflation. They're suffering, you know, and he doesn't seem to care about that. You know, so everything he represents, helping the common man, he's not helping the common man. So, kind of tragic. Yeah, tragic that people can't see the truth. Mm -hmm. um, but here's a verse, uh, Proverbs twenty twenty six: A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. I thought it was a pretty, mm, you know, mm -hmm. a pretty relevant verse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because I keep on thinking that, you know, if you're a leader, you got to do the tough thing, and you got to take out the wicked. And, yeah, we saw that that didn't occur. And because if you don't take out the wicked, then you're just letting it live. Mm. And you're committing your own act of evil, even if technically you didn't think you were. That's so true, you know, and it's interesting, like even in biblical times, you know, with uh, with King David and then Solomon, 
and some of the assignments that they had, you know, removing people that were their enemies and how that was necessary and good and it was appropriate. Sometimes they would give them mercy for a period of time, uh, but they realized they had to deal with them. And, uh, you know, I think that's something many times we're lacking. We felt like we should grant excessive mercy to everybody. But that's not being a wise king. No, it's not loving either. Mm-hmm. Loving doesn't mean you let someone do something that's detrimental to themselves and to others. Without that, consequences? Yes, that's not love. Mm-hmm. Last time I checked. So, yeah, if, if you if you can, just say a 10-second prayer for the people in Afghanistan because they, they are suffering right now. Um, you know, they're at risk of being beheaded at any moment. So, um, God, please protect them. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned a lot. And, yeah, share it with your friends if, if they're kind of not sure about what's going on. Um, we'll definitely uh, love to have other people hear this episode. Hope you guys have a wonderful day.